Welcome to the Oxygen Mass Podcast. If you are here as a parent or caregiver, educator or grandparent, we are glad to have you listening. This program is geared for the autism parent, but we welcome and invite all who feel called to be here with us. I'm Tara and I'm your co-host along with my partner, Beth. The title of this podcast, The Oxygen Mask, is based on a metaphor. Just as you are instructed on an airplane to put on your own mask before helping others, we believe we need to practice helping ourselves as parents so we can best help our children. Hi, I'm Beth. At the beginning of each episode, we'll turn that metaphor, that symbol of an oxygen mask, into a concrete practice, pausing a few minutes each day to quiet our busy minds and breathe into our bellies provides a surge of stress-reducing neurochemicals. With practice over time, we actually build pathways in our brains that help reduce our stress response. So even if you hit play on this podcast about to enter multitasking mode, please take a moment of pause for yourself. Let's begin. Close your eyes softly and bring your attention to your feet as they contact the surface beneath them, rooting you to this moment. Roll your shoulders back. Let them settle in a strong, relaxed posture. Take a belly breath in through your nose. Feel the sensation of air in your nostrils, in the back of your throat. Exhale slowly. Notice your chest fall and your belly soften. Draw another deep breath into your belly. Envision the cool air swirling up across your forehead. Exhale, picturing the warm air going down the back of your neck and over your shoulders. Bring your attention to your face, your temples, your jaw. Take a final cleansing breath in. At the top of your in-breath, bend your elbows and softly place your hands on your hips. Exhale slowly, perhaps letting a smile curl the corners of your mouth. Hold this posture for a few seconds as you open your eyes. Again, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Mask Podcast. As some of you know, we often take a break, a short break in the summer months. Well, the break here of 2021 apparently needed to be a little bit longer. Here we are in fall, still very much in the middle of a pandemic, and fatigue is pretty pervasive at this point. Please take care of yourself. Give yourself time for rest. Tara couldn't join us today. Um, She is busy with a college transition with one of her kids, Um, but I am here with two guests I'm looking forward to telling you about, and also just want to revisit Part of the purpose of this podcast was to create space where people who are living, learning, and growing in the autism community can share their experiences and perspectives and their hopes with a vision toward building inclusive communities. I'm so excited to have two guests with me today who are sharing their stories as members of the Hmong American community. Um, For them, sharing their experiences is part of growing understanding, countering stigma, and creating space for autism in the Hmong community. Um, So first we have Sai. Um, He has an administrative job in the Minnesota uh, state government, and he is an adult on the autism spectrum. 
And we have Mei Chi. She uh, has worked in healthcare for years, has a nursing degree, and has worked in settings including schools and hospitals, um, with a focus uh, on early intervention. And has led into an interest in policy, where she now um, is working professionally. Um, would each of you maybe share a synopsis of yourself, how autism is part of your life? Um, Sai, let's start with you. Thank you, Beth. And then, and it started when I was a child in the 1980s. Um, and early 90s, um, I was in the IEP in the St. Paul School Districts. And then, but back then, they, they diagnosed me as a learning disability. And, and with that, they, they tried to help me, but, but they, they wanted more funding back then to help me more. And, and, and after that, they, they couldn't help me more. So, so I, I kind of, um, yeah, I used the term fell to the cracks. So, so, so I, so I kind of, went on my own life and had some troubles um, in college back then. And, and especially the college classes, because college back then didn't have any support for people who have autism or, or, a, or ADHD. So, so I had trouble with that. And then I, and then I just kind of temporarily left college for a while. Then, then years later, uh, I went back to school, and finally, I um, I was able to complete my college degree. But it took a long time, and 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 and, and, it, and I mentioned that a college professor was able to help me overcome overcome a sub overcome a uh, class class um, a class subject. Yeah, I want to hear more about um, part of the, you know, talking about what are some big barriers and what are some successes. So it sounds like you've been um, very persistent in pursuing your education, sticking with it over the years. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. So let's, Michi, can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Thank you, Beth, for um, letting me join this podcast and opportunity. Um, my name is Michi. I am a parent to a four-year-old child that is on the autism spectrum disorder. I have a couple of family members that were diagnosed with autism 10 plus years ago, and it was still very new to our family. And, um, you know, it was just something that made my mind curious to see how I could help because I was already in the early intervention field. And so with that, I went into the healthcare field, got my nursing degree, got really lucky with my stars aligning together because after having my first child, I noticed that about 12 months, he was very brilliant. Something that kind of drew attention to me was when he was so, he was able to pick up so many things, but he couldn't communicate and tell me what he needed. So he was very frustrated at about 14 months. And so I told my husband that we should just go get him diagnosed and just see what kind of supports he might need to help them. Now, um, long story short, I have a child on the spectrum. Very happy that I got him diagnosed because it's opened up so many opportunities for him to be independent and to get all the help that he can get. 
Thanks, Michi. Thanks to you both. Um, as we talk today, I really want to hear your perspectives on some of the biggest struggles and barriers um, that you faced or continue to face, because I think that shapes sort of the, the picture of what we hope for in our communities um, and what we hope for the future and for others that follow behind us. So, um, Sai, let's start with you. You know, um, you talked about falling through the cracks. Um, in, your in the educational system. Um, and you began to talk a little bit about um, college um, as well. What was that experience like, this falling through the cracks um, process from your earliest memories in school? Uh, for me, I, uh, back then I, I see, I see um, uh, the teachers and the counselors in college, they didn't help me much to understand the classes and how to go to them. I I tried it they, they have disability help but it's back then it, it, it wasn't much help to go to just um, because they, they can't really um, go into detail much more or, or help me with all the the classes. So so I so I had to I had to try to go on my own and did you and you ended up then graduating um, from high school um, what were some like footholds for you ways that you um, found success or were able to take classes that suited you things like that oh yes I yeah I graduated from high school but uh, I had to wait five years because back then my my dad was income was high, but uh, because I can't get financial aid, so after five years, and I and I am off my parents' income. But then, but then after that, it kind of it it, it went downhill because I put put my dad so long. I I forgot things from from high school, and and it was just pretty much it was pretty much difficult, and. Then, I tried my best, but after that, I kind of took the time off, and and finally, I went back, and I was there for four years, um, even though this, even though it's only a two years school, but I went to four years and I four four degrees, two certificates and two AS degrees, and and looking back then, those classes that I took. They, they were they were much easier and there were no math. They were they were mostly business classes. I would get like A or B in those classes. Did you know where where you hoped your degrees would take you? Um, I didn't know. I I just know that I I I did better in business and and I was just looking for a admin or business job. As you mentioned, I I I started in a state as a student worker. So, so, so with that, it kind of opened a door for me to um, stay in state agency and and just work and work in admin. Oh, so that was as a student at St. Paul College, you got work experience at the state. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's great. I love where you can get work experience and get to know people before you're a job applicant necessarily. 
And Mechi, how about you as far as um, barriers or struggles that you've experienced? Um, yeah, um, for me, I think the biggest barrier was getting my partner, my husband, to support me um, to get an appointment for our son. I remember coming home from work and just saying, hey, I've been thinking about our son and I'm just a little worried about um, his communication and his frustrations. And I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. It was really hard for him at first because of my professional background. He, my, my partner assumed that I just, you know, see when I see people that I, I always analyze and think that they could possibly be on the spectrum. That was his perspective, just because of my background. I, I honestly think that he was in denial and also maybe a little bit afraid of finding out the truth, just because um, culturally in the Hmong culture, it's very hard for people to accept uh, mental health. And for our community, uh, just from my experience, it's just very hard to acknowledge it, move forward, and just be very um, loud about it, as in like being an advocate for it. And so what we're doing um, during this during this time, what we were doing, you know, is very new and very brave, I guess you can say, from other parents' perspectives that are in the whole community. Um, when he finally agreed, and um, once we got the appointment, I told my husband that we also needed to be transparent with his parents and my own parents. You know, in most Western cultures, most families do not need to share or explain but to respect the culture, um, I felt that we had to be very transparent with both of our parents just because they play a big part in our son's life. And they're also his part-time caregivers as well. It was hard because both of our parents, um, you, would, you would want your loved ones to support you in any situation. And they didn't understand. And it, I think it's because they don't know what autism is. In the Hmong um, terminology for definitions of autism, there isn't a definition. So you just have to use like a lot of different words in Hmong to describe what it is. And the only word that really works for um, mental developmental disabilities is the word dua. Dua means stupid and so, or slow. And there's not really a very good appropriate word for it you know for the definition of like a developmental disability um and so when we told our parents about him getting a diagnosis they're like oh well our grandson he is not dual and we were saying that we know that he's not dual um but we want to make sure we're getting the um supports and tools in case he needs anything to help them to be independent so it was really hard to overcome that um and it was hard to overcome the stereotypes of that our son was going to get medicated once if he was on the spectrum. We just took it day by day. We, we just told him, let's get the diagnosis first. And if there's something that um, says that he needs some additional help, then we will continue to have these conversations. So, yeah, the beginning was really hard. And then I think after getting the diagnosis, there's a lot of stigma about it. A lot of parents in the Mo community don't like to talk about their children with a disability. Um, I see a lot of elderly Hmong parents, especially with elder children that, you know, may be physically um, 
um, incapable or, you know, mentally, and they're just kind of like struck at home, you know, being confined at home and not giving them the individual supports that can help them become independent. So um, it was just, you know, really hard um, once you get the diagnosis to, to have them understand what are our next steps, what is therapy, and why is he on the spectrum. I mean, that's, you named just so many layers. You started talking about just um, struggling to get your husband on the same page about an evaluation. But then the communicating uh, to your family, and then the assumption, going to the assumption that medication was um, the next step. So you had, um, it sounds like a lot of emerging um, concerns and rationale that could lead you down one conversation and one route of explanation and then on to another and on to another. So it does sound like um, pretty intense. And, and is it true? I mean, is it accurate to say that decisions, you know, are often made more in a collective sort of more family members might have a say in, in healthcare decisions? Is that true for your family? Yeah, I can talk about that from my experience. Um, so my family is more traditional. When I say traditional, I mean that they're still like practicing the traditional things they learned in their homeland, Laos and Thailand. And also because the Hmong community is such a, like a tribal community where we really rely on each other for support, especially family members and extended family members. And we have different clans that represent who we are. Um, we do confide a lot in those community members that kind of lead us or, you know, the family leader that leads the actual family clan that you belong to. And so from my experience, just my own experience that I'm speaking for myself, it's because my family is more traditional. So yes, we do follow more of the traditional um, consultation of talking to family members and just kind of like getting a second opinion before we decide to do something very, um, you know, very dramatic as in like a procedure or something. Just an example, you know, um, when my mother-in-law was having gallstone issues, you know, the doctor advised that we need to take that gallbladder out. And so we, you know, I told my father-in-law about it and I told my um, sibling-in-laws about it. And my father-in-law, even though I wasn't asking him about it and I told him about the issue, he made the ultimate decision to go forward with the surgery because he felt that he had to make that decision from like a, a bigger um, group decision-making process. So Yes, sometimes we do go through that. And I think because I'm a little rebellious in the Hmong culture, I just, um, for me, when I say that, I meant I just decided to do the diagnostic assessment with the permission of my husband agreeing with me. You know, um, we even if our parents were against it, since they were, we just continued it. And so, you know, sometimes you just have to really advocate and fight for what you believe is right. I think the next step was, we don't want to hear you talk about it. We don't want to hear you tell the public about our grandson. And we don't want you to do a lot about it because I started sharing a little information about my son on social media, about being a parent and having a child on the spectrum and how it's brought in like a, a whole new layer of vision for me. From Because from a professional side, 
it was easier for me to tell families what to do and how to find resources. But when you're actually navigating the system and you're going through it yourself, um, you would you would assume that you already know these things because of your background, but it's a whole new world as a parent. And when it was my turn, I learned to just really truly appreciate other parents on like how hard it is for them to navigate the system of like the medical piece to it, the educational piece to it, and just dealing with like all the stigma and all the controversial things around autism. So that was very overwhelming for me, but regardless, I just wanted to ensure both of our families that he was going to be okay and that it's not about him getting medicated and it's not about him um, being labeled a certain way, but it was just him getting help. So for us to make them understand what therapy was, we just kind of uh, simplified it and told them it's like one-on-one tutor, like private tutoring, you know, to help your child learn. And so, you know, it was hard for my in-laws because they live with me to have strangers come in the home all the time to work with them one-on-one to help them verbally communicate and just to help him prompt and, you know, so that way he can be ready for kindergarten. So you know, throughout the last two years of um, the health, they, my in-laws have seen the changes, also my parents. And, you know, it took them a while to understand what autism was. And it took them a while to understand what we were doing with therapy, because I think therapy is a very scary word for them. They don't understand what therapy is. And now that he's so, like, independent and just so advanced for his age, we just hear great things from both of our parents about like how we're such good parents to advocate for him and that whenever they see something with other parents that they are related to or friends with that have concerns about like their children and grandchildren, they always like refer them to me <laughs> to talk to for resources. So it took a while, but I think the trust was gained when they saw the progress and, you know, they're starting to understand and that, you know, just helping decrease that stigma about mental health within the community. Yeah, where you're really having to um, it's see it to believe it sort of for your family as they watch you um, in this process and observe firsthand. Now it's, it's so interesting that they're almost becoming connectors to autism resources and other parents with these experiences. Um, that's a pretty amazing transformation. <laughs> So, um, Sai, how has communication um, with your family been um, around um, your needs, differences? My understanding is that you were diagnosed as an adult. Yes, I was diagnosed October 2018. And I should mention my brother-in-law who has that too. But he's he's the same thing with me. He's able to drive. He has a job, go to work. So, so for, for me, I, I'm able to do everything, but I still need some help, some services. The uh, don't drawback is, but when I went after that is, I found out that there's some service that, that won't, that can help our dogs we have it because the income's high. You have to be a low income family. You had to make, you had to live with your parents and, and have a, a very low pay job. So I, I don't qualify for any of those services. And so my dead person was kind of frustrated with that. And so for now, for now, I don't, don't, the only service I have is 
to face them. Then I see and we just talk about my struggles and my and my and my um, background thing. So, so for now, I just see her uh, every two weeks on uh, each month. So. Is there, so it's sort of a therapy approach, the services that you're getting. Is there also sort of a coaching component? I'm curious about that. I could see that benefiting um, teens and adults, especially, you know, um, working through maybe, um, you know, executive functioning struggles or other, um, is there a coaching element for you or not? Huh. All right. Yes, I I do have a coach to mm. to, to um to um, watch in the county case case manager, but so she can only help with one or two services. Yeah, even though they may have lots of service help, but I don't qualify for those. So she can't have have me help. She can't help me with one or two, and one of them is the job coach, but. But that job code is only for for part time work. So you're currently working full time, did you say? Though. Uh, yes, and yeah, my job code just kind of helped me with with part time work, and he would just ask me questions of um, 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 my skills and my qualifications. I've heard that a lot about this sort of sandwich about if you make a certain amount, then you don't receive some of the services um, that could benefit you. Anyway, but it's it's great that you're working full-time. And you said you have a coworker that sort of helped you with the evaluation process? Yes, that person actually, he was contracted to my case manager at Washington County. I don't have any coworker who can help me because oh, because I, I used to, but but since my income's high, they, they, they can't help me much. And and getting back to an encephalic arms, which you heard. Okay, right. Like a mental health services, adult rehab services would be this arms worker who could possibly work with you. This the same results that they they could help, but had to in common on these requirements. That that that's that's a no. I would like to. Uh, have a little bit more help with um, I may forget things and it, even though I may write down I I always forget so I kind of need that search just to to give me some options uh, and, and, how, and, and how to remember things or or <laughs> or or other services yeah more day-to-day um, yes. pieces mm-hmm you had um, chatted with me a little bit about family. Um, you know, what is the level of connection or, or support for you, Sai, and your family right now? Um, the, the only person who can help me is my brother, my younger brother, because his brother-in-law has the same, has autism like me. And, and me and my brother, we, we told my parents about it, and 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 Cynthia has made made she mentioned my parents. They don't know what it is, and they they use they use the term um, kind of lazy. 
that's that's the term that they call me because 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 of my mental health. Because uh, besides having autism, I have other health conditions. So they, to to my parents, they, they consider that term, but but that's kind of more it's more like a, a turn down, kind of a bad word for them to say. But me and my brother, we we don't talk to my parents and tell them about my my mental health. Hey listeners, this is Beth jumping in to let you know we're going to leave there with a pause between episodes. This first episode was really on the struggles and challenges, um, and we heard a real painful truth there from Sai about um, the lack of understanding um, and difficulty there, and some also real uh, words of hope from Mei Chi as she describes her trajectory and her family through the, the last several years. So this was episode 21, and episode 22 is coming up, and we want to thank the Minnesota Department of Human Services for funding um, this podcast episode. You can comment and subscribe to the podcast at Communities Engaging Autism's website at www.cea4, that's the number four, autism.org. Share the podcast with members of your village to strengthen those essential connections. And above all, please secure your own oxygen mask before helping others.